Coming up, can Brian Flores improve the Vikings defense despite the loss of talent? And would you trade Justin Jefferson for the number one overall pick? It's all coming up next on today's Throwback Tuesday edition of the Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition, Football Party, Lockdown Sports, Minnesota Network, daily breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings, which you can now find streaming, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick devices. All you got to do, look out for and download our Lockdown Sports, Minnesota app there as well. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sam, nice long weekend, but feels good to be back in the booth with you. Are you rested up, ready to get back into some Vikings talkers here? I am, and I, I like the topics you've chosen today. You did a good job. I, I was starting to feel the abyss mm-hmm. last night as I prepped talking points for the Ron Johnson show earlier today. We got this month now where pickings are a little slim. We got to be inventive. We got to be creative. And I think we're off to a great start today. Should be a good show. First things first, quick reminder, don't forget this episode brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, Sam, you nailed it, man. Uh, We've hit the peak of Viking summer vacation now. we got about five weeks before training camp kicks off when things really start to kick into high gear. Let's run down some of the biggest burning topics surrounding your 2023 Vikings, starting with Brian Flores in this defense. This, as of now, Sam, feels like the biggest wild card to the 2023 season, right? Because... I mean, we all know the offense is going to ball out. They're going to do their thing again under KOC. Another year of Kirk in the same system for the first time ever in his career. Even with no Dalvin. Even with no Adam Thielen. I think as long as Jordan Addison is on the field week one, fully healthy, and that running back by committee rotation is used properly, the offense is going to be in the top 10 in multiple categories, just like they were in 2022. That's something I think we all feel good about. But projecting this defense, it feels like there's such a huge contrast from the best-case scenario and the worst-case scenario. And you know what? This may very well be a case where one week we get the best-case scenario and outcome, and the very next week we see a lot more inconsistencies and we see the worst-case scenario. So bottom line here, Sam, and keep in mind, the bar is set so low, right? After watching Ed Donatel finish close to dead last in multiple categories, this bar is shockingly low. But the other side of the coin of that, this roster has lost a ton of key big-name veteran talent. So will Brian Flores improve this defense in 2023? And I guess for you, what are the biggest variables that need to come to fruition for that to happen? 
Yeah, well, I talked about this. I believe it was Luke Braun maybe last week. There is one recent example of a last place defense transforming overnight. Mike Zimmer, 2014. Kind of. No, personnel helps. Made great personnel. And you know who else had good personnel last year? The Jets. Mm. The Jets went from 32nd Mm -hmm. in yards allowed to 4th. Now, the problem is they added. They added Sauce, a couple free agents, some growing young players. Vikings got kind of old, kind of fast. They didn't have enough young players developed that they drafted. And I'm not sure that they've added to this mix in a meaningful enough way to have a 32nd to 4th kind of jump. But there is sort of that element of randomness sometimes. When you shuffle the deck, sometimes different outcomes can happen. Uh, You could argue, Luke, that this team held on to the the Zimmer era players a little bit too long. Um, You know, and this is maybe the case for for getting rid of Daniil. You haven't been great for three years with him. You weren't great for three years with Kendricks. You weren't great for two years with Patrick Peterson. Like all of these guys, as good as they are individually, they did not contribute to a t- to team-wide defensive success. So the Vikings are trying something new. And on paper, it looks bleak. But we're also not, a- and Harrison Smith said this, like when you lose good players, you're replacing them with warm bodies. You are not replacing them with air. Um, so we don't know yet the potential of some of these young players. The Vikings will need, I would venture to say, two of them play outstanding like become stars almost for this to work out i think one of them has to be your cornerback uh one of your cornerbacks caleb evans andrew booth uh you know makai blackman and you need someone on the defensive line to step up and kind of turn into an unexpected star um i don't know who exactly that would be i don't think dj wanham has it in him but that would be awesome i don't know if it's tonga if it's otomewo there's a lot of options, a lot of eligible players who on paper don't look very promising. You need some players to overachieve. Uh, and that's my starting point, Luke. You just need to see if some of these young guys can be developed into something more than we view them as right now. Yeah, and I think to your point, this year fans are going to get a huge taste of reality when it comes to how much coaching actually matters in this league just how much difference you're going to see going from a guy like Ed Donatel to a guy like Brian Flores with his track record even with far less talent on paper because at this point I mean we've gone through it a hundred times but he's got what feels like a fraction of the talent Donatel had last season at least going into the year Kendricks Dalvin Tomlinson Pat P Duke Shelley Cam Dantzler Sidarius Smith and yet all the expectations so far, it just feels like he's not just going to keep it afloat with far less talent, mind you, but he's going to actually somehow improve this thing dramatically. That's just what the vibe feels like right now when you hear these offensive players come off the field after practice and talk about the looks they're seeing and how impressed they were with you know the aggressiveness and the speed and the different packages and all that. And I mean, all that remains to be seen. I get it. But if he can come even close to middle of the pack, 
you know, half of what Robert Sala did in just some defensive category statistics, mind you, then I think that speaks just such volumes when it comes to how important coaching is in the NFL. And maybe at the end of the day, it isn't so much adding, you know, a new piece on the defensive side of the ball here or there in the draft or free agency, but it's more important to have the right guy calling the plays and having the right system in place more than anything else. Maybe that trumps everything that we've talked about as we get into the minute details of the roster and the depth chart and who's going to be lining up where. Maybe coaching trumps all that. And if he does succeed, then the very next question I have is, can you keep him around another year or is he going to bail? Because if Flores makes that Mm -hmm. much of a difference and he gets all the love and all the attention, then finding a way to keep him from jetting off to the next head coaching job immediately, I think that becomes the A topic next offseason as well. You finally found your answer to building some sort of championship defense. It does start with coaching. It starts at the top, potentially with Brian Flores. The vibe around town as far as the personnel goes, and you've been out at practice far more than I have, but it's a lot of the same things... I heard with Mike Zimmer right when he showed up in year one. I mean, people are raving about the aggressiveness, the looks he's been throwing out there in practice, uh, seven, eight, sometimes nine guys up at the line of scrimmage. He's an absolute maniac when it comes to his aggressiveness. I think fans are absolutely going to be here for it. A lot of double A gap looks, get up to the line, you know, who's coming, who's going, confusing the quarterback and the offensive line pre-snap putting as much stress and pressure on them to be able to communicate to keep up with all these different looks, play in and play out for four quarters. I mean, we saw it under Zim for six, seven, eight years. That's a tough ask for any offense. And that probably means you're you're going to be relying on different game plans week to week too, depending on who the opponent is, what their strengths are, how to attack their weaknesses, et cetera. But man, it just feels like a lot of this team's success I feel like he's going to be riding on that defensive side of the ball. You brought up Robert Sala. Let me just dig a little bit deeper into Mike Zimmer in 2014. Remember, he took over for Leslie Frazier. He inherits literally the worst defense in the league. Horrible. 30 points per game allowed. And in one year, Zim comes in. He takes him from 32nd to points allowed to 11th, almost top 10. That's insane. That is so impressive. And I look back at the roster. I know he had a good starting core. Usually that first year of a new regime, starting fresh, Chicago Bears, for example, strip it down to the studs. He had a good core. Harrison Smith, Greenway, Linval Joseph he brought in that year, Xavier Rhodes, Munnerling, guys like that. But the other half of the starters, you're talking about guys like Jasper Brinkley, Robert Blanton started 13, 14 games. Gerald Hodges. You got guys like Corey Wooten and Justin Trateau getting looks in the NASCAR package. I mean, come on. Barr was a rookie that year. He only played 12 games. Greenway only played 12 games. So it, it really reminded me it wasn't so much about talent. It was more about the system that Mike Zimmer was deploying, the scheme. He knew how to attack teams relentlessly and get in their head psychologically too, the the quarterback specifically for all four quarters. That's why that turnaround was just so impressive in 2014. And obviously, knock on wood, that's what we're hoping for nine years later with Brian Flores. Hey, what do you think would be more impressive? What Zim did in year one in 2014 or if Brian Flores got this defense to say, you know, top 15 status in multiple categories, kind of middle of the pack? Uh, I think it's definitely Flores. Mm-hmm. That that Zimmer defense still had 
Robison and Everson Griffin on the edges. And I, I do give him credit for making Everson Griffin into what he was, Andre Patterson. Like they had a big role in elevating him to that status. Uh, but Harrison Smith, prime rookie bar when he was on the field was really good. Um, Captain Munderland was a great signing. Linval Joseph was a great signing. I guess the, the difference is, Luke, is that that team really invested in bringing in veteran leadership in free agency with Munderland, Joseph, and uh, who am I forgetting? I might, that, might, that might be it. Um, those two guys, and then having young Xavier Rhodes in the pipeline was huge. huge. Having uh, Sharif, young Sharif Floyd. When he, remember how good he was? Like, there, I think there was a little more pedigree in that defense than this one. Um, you know, this one, you're counting on like fourth round pick of Caleb Evans to, you know, step in after having kind of a, a you know, a slow starting first year. You're counting on a lot of guys that don't have that pedigree, and you didn't exactly bring in a ton of reinforcements in free agency. You're just counting on internal development to carry you. So I think this would be a more impressive uh, a job by Brian Flores if he can get something out of this group. I worry every night, Luke. I put my head on the pillow, and I just worry about the secondary. I think that's a huge concern. Um, was Terrence Newman... On that, no, Terrence Newman wasn't. He, that was next year. Yeah, 2015. Um, I want to say six, might might have even been 16. Don't, yeah, don't 15 quote or me 16. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't on that team. Yeah, I worry about this secondary. I think if Brian Flores can figure out how to get the most out of this secondary, that's going to be the the biggest story of you know the the Vikings this year. Uh, to your point about the secondary, last thing here, real quick, and then we'll move on. Uh, last year's defense versus this year. When you go back and look at the schedule from 2022 and look at the quarterbacks they faced, just look at the quarterbacks. They really got lucky in a lot of ways in the fact that they didn't play a gauntlet of higher-end elite quarterbacks. Sure, you got Rodgers twice, but turned out that offense was never going to be the offense we were kind of used to. Yeah, Jalen Hurts week two and Josh Allen in week 10. But that's about it. I mean, they got super lucky with a lot of Andy Dalton's of the world, Jared Goff's, Mac Jones, Mike White and the Jets at home, Matt Ryan on his last leg, year two of Justin Fields twice. But now you look at the lineup this year, it is a murderer's row, man. Elite high-end quarterback play. Look at what they opened season with from week two to week five. Jalen Hurts again in week two on primetime. Justin Herbert the following week, Bryce Young, the number one overall pick, and then Patrick Mahomes. Don't know if you heard of him. Google him, do a little research. He's from Kansas okay. City. Pretty solid, up and coming. Uh, I think he's going to be the next big thing. Stop it, though. Like, that's four straight weeks to start your season, more or less, that has zero give, zero drop-off in talent from opposing teams' quarterback. Plus, you got Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow. Fields is going to be better in year three and at least surrounded by much more talent. That alone, as much as I love Brian Flores and excited as we've been about him and how aggressive he's been early on in OTAs, the rise in quarterback talent and play is going to be so difficult for the Vikings defense to come away with the same results just given how much talent they've lost, let alone be an even better statistical unit as well. But that just means Flores is going to have to be dramatically more creative, I think, more aggressive than Donatel. He was picked apart that soft, 
shell defense that we all complained about towards the second half of the season. And everything we've seen, though, thus far early on, he's willing to send extra rushers, create pressure on the quarterback, make life difficult for that offense. Here's a wild stat. Gets me jacked up especially when I think about how the Vikings have four capable safeties in the back end right now. In 2021, Flores sent a safety blitz a combined 200 times, easily the most in the NFL, 200 safety blitzes in 2021. Last year, Harrison Smith, he only blitzed 14 times all season, which, I mean, that's kind of disgusting in its own right because we know that's one of his best skill sets, so why aren't you sending him off the edge in the box a little bit more? But to think about Harry, Lewisine, Cam Bynum, now Josh Metellus, seriously in the mix, and all the things Flores can do with that group of guys, just mixing and matching week to week, using their best skill sets, uh, that gives you a hope, I think, that Flores is at least going to get his money's worth out of the talent that he has to work with at every position, but safety especially. Very curious about how the secondary shakes out in 2023. Just something to keep in mind as we get closer to the season. All right, coming up, I'm putting Sam on the hot seat. I want to know if he'd trade Justin Jefferson for the number one overall pick. But first, quick reminder, don't forget... We're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sports book and official sports book partner of the MLB. Sam Twins slumping yet again. They've lost four of their last five. They take on Boston in game two tonight. Bailey Ober on the mound, first pitch, 6.40 p.m. Central Standard Time. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. And remember... If you're a new customer, check this out. Try out the no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download the easy to use FanDuel app. Get your winnings instantly. Money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire MLB season. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of Locked On. All right, Sam, I got some red-hot, bold Q&A Vikings hitters I want to run through you here real quick, starting with this. Would you trade uh, Justin Jefferson for the number one overall pick, and why? Lay it on me. What do you think? All right. So do we know it's the, We know for sure it's the number one overall pick? It's like, going to be the number just... one overall. It's not, hey, we're going to trade to Arizona. We're going to get their number one pick. Let's roll the dice. Hope they pick number one. But if not, we know it's the number one overall pick. Okay. So maybe, so let's, let's try to make this realistic. So let's say talks stall out, no extension. He shows up, plays out the year. Talks continue to stall. Maybe, you know, maybe the Vikings really stink. Maybe they go four and thirteen. Jefferson's not one of sure he not sure he wants to go about the rebuild. Um, wants to go somewhere else. Doesn't want a new quarterback. And the Vikings want to just completely tear it down. Okay, that's probably the that's the sad reality of the situation. Okay, would in that situation would I trade him for the number one overall pick? Maybe. Yeah. Is that all I get? If that's all I get, it makes me nervous that you would give an established potential Hall of Fame talent up for, let's face it, an unknown. Draft picks are still unknowns. You could, There can be a greater likelihood that they succeed, but number one overall picks, Luke, are not even guaranteed to be great. Even at the quarterback position, they are not guaranteed to be great. So would I give him up just for the number one pick? You know, I'd rather have, I think, an assortment of number one picks 
not necessarily the number one overall. I'd rather have like three consecutive first round picks um, than just putting all my eggs in that basket because football, there's so many players on the field, so many variables. One guy, even if it's Caleb Williams, that makes me nervous. So I am going to say no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Wow. Okay, fair enough. You laid out some good points, and and I think this should stir up a good conversation here up on the YouTube comments as well. But mm-hmm. first of all, I mean, yeah, if I'm starting a team from scratch, JJ's the first wide receiver off the board. All right, he's the clear cut for me, anyways. Bona fide number one wide out in the league. Having said that, in this league, nine out of ten times a wideout can only go as far as his quarterback. I mean, we've seen it for decades. Even someone, you know, special as Randy Moss, for example little limited and handcuffed by his quarterback during certain times throughout his career. Quarterback always trumps everything else. Next year, you're going to see one of the best quarterback prospects to come out in a handful of years in USC's Caleb Williams, who not only, I think, will give you an instant new face of the franchise, allow you to enter that elite quarterback conversation that the team's kind of been stuck in purgatory with Kirk Cousins for the last you know five or some years, but more importantly than any of that, I think about the cap implications because, Sam, even if to your yeah. point, say you're not sold on Caleb, you can trade that pick for a King's ransom. Look what the Bears got this year for the number one overall pick. You're going to be able to get even more because Caleb Williams and Drake May are in the conversation next year. I think about the cap implications, though. One of the number one reasons I've just been banging the table, hoping the Vikings go up and draft a quarterback for so long, you can finally reset this cap mess that Rick Spielman left you. Rid yourself of the $40 million every year with Kirk Cousins. Turn around, pay a rookie quarterback peanuts for five years. That's the blueprint now in the NFL. That's just how you build a Super Bowl window. And on top of that, You mentioned J.J., maybe some contract issues. As much as we all love J.J., you're about to make him the richest non-quarterback in the NFL. What do you think that's going to do for your cap in three, four years? It's going to be chaos yet again once you hit the back end of that contract, no matter how good he still is on the field. That's going to sting. I'm more than thrilled, you know, in this fake exercise. I got three great years out of JJ on a rookie deal, maybe four, maybe it's a deal next offseason. And now I'm able to turn around, flip him for the number one overall pick, get Caleb Williams or a King's ransom and multiple picks if that's your flavor. And then not only clear the Kirk Cousins contract, but I open up future possibilities knowing I won't have 30 million on the books with JJ either in 2026 and beyond. And plus, you got the Caleb Williams-Jordan Addison combo at USC. Hashtag chemistry. You get Kevin O'Connell, let us do his thing with an elite quarterback prospect under center. And I get to take all that extra money now, build a Super Bowl caliber roster, give the Vikings a three, four-year window to go get it done, bring home a Lombardi. It's tough to swallow. I get it. This is not a fun exercise for a lot of people listening at home. But for me, it's about as much of a no-brainer as you can get. Just got to make sure, the one caveat, you got to make sure J.J. goes to the AFC. Because I only want to see him once every, what, four or five years or so. Yeah. Uh, That would be dangerous. That would be dirty to have J.J. come back at the bank, go off for 218, 12 receptions and three tugs every four or five years. That'd be a tough pill to swallow. Uh, I I wonder, Luke, if if there's maybe an alternate reality where – all of those one-score games went the wrong way for the Vikings last year. And if Kwesi's mindset would have totally shifted to something like this, like right right now, this suggestion seems unrealistic. Mm-hmm. 
But I wonder if there was a world where, okay, they, they really did bottom out. People are disgruntled. It's clearly a teardown. Like right now, we're kind of in between with this, this retool, teardown, competitive rebuild phrasing that we're using. But I wonder if the Vikings had gone 4-13, and 13, if trading JJ would seem more realistic. Um, I, and I don't think it is right now. But you've laid out really good points of why, just from a financial standpoint, it is going to be a hindrance on your cap to have that type of player. And you, I think you'd rather have that money than Kirk money because with JJ, you do have a number one player at his position, a game changer. With Kirk, we're not so sure, right? We're not so sure that he's a game changer at his position. Um, but having that financial freedom going forward and, and a chance to really hit free agency hard and build from the ground up, which the Vikings haven't done in forever, there it would be kind of liberating. I will say that. It would be fun, a lot of fodder, a lot of, a lot of fun talking points, fun to watch that team grow. Um, but man, it is a sure thing almost, as sure as you can get, that J.J. is going to deliver on that contract. I thought it was going to be the Ravens this year with the Lamar that were going to finally do it and kind of start the trend. But somebody eventually is going to do this where they have an elite player like a Lamar or J.J., they run him dry for five years, and then they end up trading him for multiple first-round picks and clear that cap. I don't think the Ravens really wanted to give Lamar Jackson $200 million in guaranteed, but they ended up basically shooting themselves in the foot the way they handled that whole situation. At the end of the day, they were forced into that contract, I believe. And I love Lamar Jackson. I would take him on the Vikings or any team in a heartbeat if I was building a team from scratch. But you just think about the cap implications here, Sam, because these contracts are getting so ridiculous. Yeah, you can mask it for the first two, maybe three years. We pulled up the Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown contracts last Thursday just to kind of compare and contrast what J.J.'s might look like. You can soften the blow the first couple of years, but in that back end of these contracts, they are going to eat that cap up alive, and it makes things really difficult for the GM to do much and create that Super Bowl window as opposed to keeping that guy on your rookie deal for five years, and then turning around, getting multiple first-round picks with your own. Now I've got three first-round picks, let's just say, and then going to find that next quarterback in the draft and do it all over again. I think some team here in the next few years is going to start that trend because these contracts are getting so ridiculous. And owners mm -hmm. and GMs, they got a hard time paying anybody $200 million in guaranteed. All right, next one. Who nets more in a trade, a soon-to-be 29-year-old Daniil Hunter or a soon-to-be 35-year-old Kirk Cousins? Who nets more coming back in trade compensation? What say you? Oh, my goodness. Trade. So let, let's say the trade. So it, it's kind of apples to apples because they're both going into contract years, right? So like, let's say that the trade is occurring right now. Yes. Um, and I think that it's pretty cut and dry that Hunter is worth a second. That seems to be the going, like kind of the, the average rate. Now, may, maybe there's a path where he gets first. Maybe there's one where he drops to a third. Um, didn't Alex Smith, what was the Alex Smith compensation because that's kind of the one that, that my mind goes to um, when he was traded from and that was a third round pick and a player it was like a third and a player I think that uh, because of the size of Kirk's contract and because he's not a top five player at that position 
I don't think the compensation would be would be much more than a third. Uh, I think Daniil, younger, premium position, current contract is not is not bad. Um, pro- highly productive player. You could argue that he's better at his position than Kirk is. I, I think that Daniil gets you more. I think if this was two years ago or maybe even three, I agree with you. Kirk Cousins and Alex Smith, as far as trade value goes, kind of on the same level. I get it. And we don't see quarterbacks traded often. But I remember Carson Palmer, who was 31 years old. Okay, four years younger. I get it. But he had already had a torn ACL out for the entire year. He was coming off a 4-12 and season in Cincy when he was traded for not one, but two first-round picks from Oakland. Now, again, I know Kirk is four years older than that, but he's never been hurt. He plays every single game, and you could easily argue he's put up better stats at this point in his career and played better football than Carson was at that point. More importantly, I think the league has watched – So many of these guys play well into their late 30s now, if not even later than that, at a high level. And they look at Kirk as a guy who, because he's so consistent from a health perspective, that he would be worth at least a first-rounder to a playoff-ready team. Daniil, I don't know if he'll net a day-one pick. That's still very 50-50. I think he should. I wouldn't even pick up the phone unless that's where the conversation started. But there's just no position that's more valuable than quarterback. And even despite the age, I think Kirk would net you more than Daniil if they were both traded at this point in their careers. So let's just say Mm -hmm. next week, for example. But yeah, it's a lot trickier than I thought. Kirk, I mean, the contrasted spectrum for what he could get in a trade, it's all over the map, man. You're right. Could look like a lot more Alex Smith versus what I just laid out with the Carson Palmer situation. Uh, Last one here. Which running back in this committee will end with the most all-purpose yards in 2023? Most all-purpose yards of these four running backs. Who you got, Sam? Yeah, well, I got to ask one clarifying question every every time, I guess. Is it, are you counting kick return yards? All-purpose, baby. Add them in. Tack them in. Okay, so it's not just yards from scrimmage. It is uh, kick return as well. Correct. (sighs) Um, That was a deep sigh there. It's only Tuesday, man. We just came off a long man. break. This is only segment two. That was. A I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted <laughs> by these questions. Kenny is probably going to get, let's say, thirty tries at a return this year. Twenty-five. Mm-hmm. You know, let maybe a little more than one per game. Twenty-five mm-hmm. returns. He's going to get thirty yards on each of those. Um, even if he gets tackled, you know, before the twenty-five, probably gets thirty yards per return. That's over 700 yards. That's 750 yards right there. Automatically, 750 that he's getting that nobody else is getting. So even if he doesn't take a snap from scrimmage, Luke, is is one of their backs going to get over 750? Because if Chandler is carrying a a bigger load, if McBride is involved at all, if uh, Madison is kind of more of a almost... Almost a glorified, like like a rich man's short yardage guy. <sighs> Can I just rock the boat and say Kenne? Can I say that Kenne surpasses them all with all of his kick return yards? And then maybe he gets a hundred yard return once a year. So pump, you know, pump those numbers up a little bit. Get him just a, a little bit of offensive work. He might be at a thousand. I'm gonna go Kenne. If you just average his kick return game from 2021 when he was a rookie in 2022. It's about 700. You're right. 580 in year one, 920 last year. 
And that was with only one. And he was hurt year one for he six was. Weeks. And so, yeah. you never know who's going to be hurt. And that's why it's so tough to predict this stuff. That's what makes, you know, all the prop bets, season long prop bets we always talk about on FanDuel.com a little tricky because one guy goes down, it changes the whole equation. I think Madison's the workhorse for the first six weeks or so, just as far as the offense goes. But I truly believe. KOC and Quasey drafted Ty Chandler for a reason. They thought he could be a serious game changer in both the run and the pass game. And not only does he have that game-changing speed that gets overlooked because Kenny's the burner on the team, but I think with a full year under his belt now, he knows the offense. He knows the nuances of the NFL game. I think he's about to bust out in a big way, a lot more than people are thinking. Even if he starts out the gate maybe a little slow, I still think. Ty Chandler, even with Kenny's all-purpose yards at about whatever you said, eight nine hundred between the run and the pass, I think Ty Chandler ends up with over a thousand yards all-purpose. Kenny's intriguing, like you said, because of the kickoffs. But unless he's involved at all in the offense, which last year he wasn't. Now this year, Dalvin Cook's gone, but you also added obviously Dwayne McBride into the mix. You gave Alexander Madison a healthy chunk of money to be that workhorse as well. I have a tough time gambling that Kenny is going to be involved in the offense this year all of a sudden and put my money on it. So, yes, he's going to get the kickoff returns. He's going to get those all-purpose extra yards. But I still think Ty Chandler ends up with the most all-purpose, even if he starts out the gate a little slow. And I think mm-hmm. more so because he's going to be the guy in the passing game, especially on third down. That's my opinion. You've been out there more than I have. I don't know the depth chart or the pecking order right now, but – Kenny seems to be the special teams guy, which will get him close. Madison's going to be the bruiser, but as the season carries on, I think the Vikings, Kwesi and KOC, just really want to give Ty Chandler the ball as much as possible. All right, Sam, let's end with a quick fun one here. We brought it back last week. It's Throwback Tuesday. Sam and I dig up the archives. We highlight one special Vikings player that helped change the history and the way we look at the Vikings franchise. And in doing so, we started our own Vikings Mount Rushmore. I had the first pick last week. Go back and check that episode out. I went with Alan Page for not just what he did on the field, but the person, the human being he was off the field, all the amazing things he did to impact the community. Easy number one pick for me. Now, here's what we'll do. This week, you'll get the pick. Next week, we'll join forces. We'll agree on the third member. And then week four coming up here, we'll let the people decide. The fans listening at home, they can vote on the fourth and final member of our Vikings Mount Rushmore up on the Lockdown Minnesota YouTube community page. How does that sound, Sam? It's a great plan. Um, And I'm already nervous for the third and fourth spots because I I feel like there's going to be universal approval on Paige and maybe today's guy. It's going to get dicey after this. But um, I think even today's guy kind of starts some conversations. My pick's Moss. Um, I think you would agree with me, and I bet 99% of fans would agree that Randy Moss has to be high on the list. Probably your number two or, or number one even, Mount Rushmore guy. My question is, though, why is it so convincingly Moss when he played with a receiver in Chris Carter who had a better relationship with the team, had more touchdowns with the team, had more receptions with the team, had more yards with the team. Chris Carter, by many metrics, was a better Viking, and he didn't have 
multiple messy breakups. Randy Moss had multiple messy breakups, and that relationship was impaired for years. Chris Carter is still like a very cherished piece, you know? Uh, so why is it Moss, Luke? Why do you think that our minds go immediately to Randy Moss as the more transformative receiver than Chris Carter? I was about sixth grade. You were a little bit younger, Sam. But do you remember any of the 1998 summer of Mark McGuire versus Sammy Sosa breaking Roger Maris's 61 Man. home run record? Yes. Do you remember so that good. summer? That was so the good. Most magical summer and yes it's got an asterisk by it but we didn't know that at the time that absolutely enthralled not just baseball fans but an entire country watching those guys do what hit the long ball it's about the long ball it's about the home run ball and chicks dig it chicks dig the long ball baby and chris carter Changed the game in a lot of ways for receivers as a possession receiver. We all remember the toe taps on the sideline, the one-handed catches in the red zone, or to move the change on third down. But Randy Moss changed the game, the way we look at wide receivers and the passing game because of what he was able to do with the deep ball. And I know you mentioned Chris Carter had more touchdowns than Randy Moss in a Vikings uniform, but Randy Moss even though he played 20 fewer less games than Carter, still put up 26 more touchdowns. And yeah, a lot of that had to do with his time in New England, but Randy Moss changed the game. The way we look at the wide receiver position because of the deep ball, the excitement, that home run splash play, Chris Carter, 130 touchdowns career-wide. Who's kidding who? That's a Hall of Famer every single day of the week. But Randy Moss did something special and unique no other receiver had done before him. And that's why I think Randy Moss gets the edge as hard as it is over Chris Carter in our Vikings Mount Rushmore. What do you think about that case I just laid out? Yeah, it's and, and I wanted to hear it, hear your take on it. And your take is my take as well. Um, Randy Moss changed the league. Um, so like if we're talking Mount Rushmore terms, like, you know, it's not always about which president got the most bills through Congress. It's kind of like who made that landmark, that watershed decision that changed the nation. And Randy Moss changed football and he did it overnight. Luke, he shows up week one, week one, Justin Jefferson. He was on the sidelines week one. Randy Moss comes in week one, scores two touchdowns, I think had a couple deep ball receptions as a rookie, and the league was on notice, and he never stopped. He st The first game he ever played, he let the league know that this was going to be the deal. And uh, the the games that you like, I don't know if there's a, a great number of Chris Carter games that you think back and say, wow, what a Carter game. But think back to just 98, Lambeau on a Monday night. Um, Cowboys on Thanksgiving, mm. you know, like they're just those, those momentous moments that Randy Moss delivered and he did it over and over and over again. He's a so, verb, Sam. We love Moss. Chris Carter, but you got Moss. He, he's a verb. He changed the game. He's a video game that we had never seen before. Such a great point. Chris Carter, I think back in my mind, I go, of course, Chris Carter was an absolute legend. I loved watching him on Sundays. I can't think of one single game that comes to mind, though, when I think of Chris Carter. You're right, Randy Moss, I got a Rolodex full of them because he just mm -hmm. changed the game. At the NFL, 
the level of talent is so good. You're talking about the best athletes in the world. And when you have a guy that can come in and cannot be covered, even if you try to double him, you try to put two guys on him, cannot be covered. He's changing the way we look at the game. And that was Randy Moss. You're totally right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Uh, I So Moss being number two on Mount Rushmore, I think people will agree with that. Leave a comment below whether you do or not. But the question becomes, Luke, this is a teaser for down the road. Is there still room for Chris Ooh. on the Mount Rushmore? That's the question. Whew. Fans I'm, might have to decide. Turn my on. It's getting hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally right. I think we can all agree, too, especially as we've watched the NFL turn into such a pass-happy league as opposed to what it was 25 years ago when Moss was playing. There's just nothing like the long ball, man. I mean, when that quarterback drops back seven steps, launches one deep, those three and a half seconds when the ball is in the air, the entire stadium holding their breath, just like the home run ball in baseball. Uh, and then to see Randy Moss just come down with circus catch after circus catch. His rookie year, to your point, fans were, have never been more enthralled and encapsulated for those three hours every Sunday. Even if you weren't mm -hmm. a Vikings or a football fan, family members and friends huddled around the TV on Sundays to see what crazy play he would come up with next. So there you go. Week two, throwback Tuesday in the books. We're halfway complete with the Vikings Mount Rushmore now. Alan Page and Randy Moss sitting atop the mountain. Two picks to go. Sam's right. Will Chris Carter still find his way into the top four? Let us know what you think, by the way. Go comment if you're watching on YouTube. What do you think of our first two picks? What did you think of Alan Page and Randy Moss growing up? What did they mean to you as a Vikings fan? Who do you think should be the final two picks on our Mount Rushmore as we continue this exercise over the next two weeks. Let us know and be on the lookout too for the poll coming up on YouTube community page coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, I just think, Sam, the whole premise of this is it's the slow part of the season now, right? If we're ever going to go back deep in the archives, give some love and attention to some of the all-time greats, no better time to do it now while we have a little break before the action and training camp starts up next month. And I think it's just fun doing a quick little five, 10 minute deep dive in some of the best players in obviously franchise history that we know and that we hear about, but maybe we just, we didn't grow up watching. We don't have the same passion or mm -hmm. appreciation for some of the guys that, you know, we hear our dads and uncles talk about so often and so highly of. So by the way, just because I still haven't pulled up Alan Page, my three favorite stats, and then we'll get out of here. 23 fumble recoveries, 148 and a half sacks. Do you remember my favorite? Uh, 28 no. blocked kicks. That's right. How? Right. What What cheat code did this guy have? He must have had a tip. He Maybe he watched some film grinding back then or something. He must have had a tell, and he could just... He was just that quick, that good. Jim Marshall I mean, was lifting him up. They were like, he, he was on his shoulders, I think. That that had to be unbelievable. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode of the Football Party. One-stop shop, break down everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. Make sure to check him out every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Co-host of the Ron Johnson Show. Thanks for tuning in to the Football Party, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the Mailbag Edition with Kara Levin's Reggie Wilson. But until then... I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman signing out.